0: All right, the Mormons, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Um, we're going to be talking about the Mormons, and and uh, when you hear the word Mormon, a lot of probably things come to your mind. Maybe it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, good music, uh, or they have a... Uh, program called uh, the Spoken Word Broadcast, or maybe you remember the Donnie and Marie show, or the King family, um, all Mormons. And um, probably most likely you think of two young men riding bicycles through your neighborhood with short sleeve shirts on and a black tie and short hair, um, trying to distribute books of Mormon, and talking to families with... Uh, children, usually, about their family home evening, what that means and and how that 's so important to them. Um, this is actually a religion that started right here in the United States in the nineteenth century, and so we want to look a little bit about not only how it began but what they believe, and then we do have to visit the Bible and figure out what the Bible says about mormonism and so um, what 's interesting with Mormonism, apart from any of the other groups that we'll be looking at, is that Mormonism hinges its theology on its history. It's all caught up in its history. Um, They're they're directly related. They're they're bound together. And so when you talk about early Mormonism, it was founded by this guy, Joseph Smith, And he was born in 1805 to a religious family in Sharon, Vermont. And um, in 1816, they moved to a town in New York called Palmyra, New York. And then his story says that four years later, revival broke out in all the churches. And masses of people were getting saved and converted. And he says that as a result of that, all these churches were inviting him to go to his, their church, whether Methodist, Baptist, whatever. There was just like this massive revival, he said. And so he was confused. He didn't know which church to join. And so he took the Bible and he looked up James 1 5, which says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he'll give it to all men liberally and abrades not, and it shall be given to him. And so Joseph Smith says the story basically based on James 1.5. He decided to go to the Lord and ask him, well, which church should I join? Doesn't sound that bad. Um, And then he headed out into the woods. To a place they call the Sacred Grove. That's what the Mormons call it today. And um, when he got to the woods, (coughs) he basically had his first Vision after this brief struggle with the 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 powers of darkness, he says. He said that there was this pillar of light, and it was as bright as the sun. And amidst the light, there was floating two individuals, two white men, uh, male figures. He said, and um, basically they started to have a dialogue with one another. And the one gestured to the other and said, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And so Joseph Smith realized that this is the father and the son standing before him. And what does Jesus have to say to young Joseph Smith in this encounter? Now, remember, this is the first mortal to have a face-to-face interview with the living God in over 2,000 years um, and the first words out of Joseph's mouth as he encountered the living God was, what church should I go to? <laughs> kind of hard to believe. But that's what he says happened. What church should I join? And as a result of that, Jesus answered him. And he, he, according to his story, he says he gave him three principles. He says, first of all, do not join any of the churches because they're all wrong. The Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, they're all wrong. Not only that, but all their creeds are an abomination to the Lord. Now, remember, we talked about some of the creeds a couple of weeks ago, remember? The Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. They're the foundations, the fundamentals of our faith put in a creed, in a, in a saying. Um, I find it hard to believe that God would call something like that an abomination, which that word means disgustingly wicked. He says it's basically revolting error. And then thirdly, not only are all the churches wrong and all the creeds wrong, but all the people who profess those creeds are corrupt. It don't have anything to do with them either. Well, where does this leave poor young Joseph? Um, Well, God left him there for the very purpose of restoring the church. He was to be the, the restorer of the church. As a matter of fact, one of their presidents of the Mormon organization said that, Herbert Grant, he said, any man who does not believe in Joseph Smith as a prophet of the true and living God has no right to be in this church. That revelation to Joseph Smith, listen, is a foundation stone. If Joseph Smith did not have that interview with God and Jesus Christ, the whole Mormon fabric is a failure and a fraud. It's not worth anything on earth. That's the president of the church saying this, right? So we start right off realizing that, well, okay, this is founded. If there's no first vision that's genuine and real, you don't have any church here by their own admission. Well, what's interesting is that historians have looked into the story of Joseph Smith. And they've looked into it, and they looked into many of the claims and the aspects of what he says happened and how it happened and all this stuff. Um, Guess what? The historians found out that in 1820, there was no revival where multiple people, many thousands of people were saved in the area in which Joseph Smith said he lived. There wasn't. Now, there was a revival four years later. He said, well, maybe he got the dates wrong. The problem is, If the timing of the revival moves four years ahead, it throws off their whole system. (laughs) Because, like I said, it's based on their historical understanding of this first vision. And not only that, but the Mormons have multiple versions of their first vision with Joseph Smith. In other words, throughout the years, you've had various stories told. Well, he was this old. No, he was that old. Oh, they said this to him. No, they said that. And th- these were not complementary versions, like the Gospels. Okay, we have the four Gospels, and they kind of complement each other. You know, you can point to one Gospel and say, wow, this story sounds different than the one over here. Well, yeah, because they're complementary. They're just telling it from a different perspective. But the general gist of the whole story is still there. But that's not true in these different stories that came up, crept up with, with the Mormons over Joseph Smith's first vision. Um, everything from how old he was, what motivated him to go out in the woods and pray, who he saw there, what he saw, all those things were a cesspool of confusion for decades in the Mormon church. You could ask one Mormon a question, they'd tell you, oh, he was this old, and then somebody else would tell you something else. And it took decades for them to figure this thing out. They had to get the story right. What happened in the sacred grove? Uh, The first vision is not a reliable guide to anything that happened to Joseph Smith in the beginning. It's just not. Um, But that didn't stop him. Uh, He had visitations from Moroni. Now, Who is Moroni? This is in 1823. He was a resurrected prophet, they claim, from the ancient Americas kind of weird. Um, You know when you see a Mormon temple, like the one in Salt Lake City, or I think there's uh, one here in the Bay Area somewhere, but whenever you see it, you see the guy on the top of the thing, the golden man with the little horn, that's Moroni, all right. And um, the story says that he came to Joseph Smith, and he told him that there was a work of, of, of Mormon scripture that needed to be translated, and it's called the Book of Mormon. And this is all Kind of a revelatory thing going on with with Joseph Smith. And after four years of these visitations, going back and forth with him and Moroni, Moroni finally found him capable and worthy of having these plates of Scripture that he says were given to him. Uh, And on these plates, there were inscribed uh, Scripture, the Book of Mormon, he says, But it was inscribed in a language called Reformed Egyptian, which nobody's ever heard of. If you ask a linguist, they'll say it's never existed. Um, No one has ever heard of it before or since. Uh, Along with these plates that he got with this scripture on it, um, they said that he had also given to him these magical spectacles called the Urim and Thurim. And These are what Joseph was supposed to use to translate these plates. When he put these things on, he could see things that other people couldn't. And he was given this gift to translate the Book of Mormon from these plates uh, by the gift and the power of God. Now, what's interesting, when all this is going on in Joseph Smith's timeline of his life, historians go back, and they've uncovered records that shows us that during this period of life that Joseph Smith was living, when he said all these things were happening, um, he was in trouble. They have records that show he was in trouble with the law. And he was with, in trouble with the law by, uh, for what they used to call money digging. And what money digging was, was it was using occult practices to unearth buried treasure. Okay, this is a whole different world they, we, they lived in back then, and they just didn't look kindly on that. He ended up actually in jail. They found records that shows where he's in jail. Now that's not mentioned in the Mormon scriptures at all, but historians have uncovered this stuff. But by eighteen twenty eight uh, to twenty nine, there he's translating the Book of Mormon by the power of God, supposedly. How's he doing it? Is he putting on these magical spectacles? No. Okay, Because of his occultic background, his own family, his wife, um, and some of the, the, the people that were helping, the scribes that were helping him do this, the translators, they said he didn't use these the, the Urim and the Thurim, the these spectacles, he was putting on, he actually put his uh, searing stone, kind of a magical little stone, into his hat. He'd put it in his hat, and then he'd bury his face in his hat, so he would create the realm of darkness, so he couldn't see any light. And then he would basically begin to dictate word for word the Book of Mormon. He wasn't getting them off the plates, he was making this up. Um, One resource I read said that they actually believe the Book of Mormon is a channeled document, channeled document, um, uh, with a spiritistic background, which is not good. In other words, demonic forces literally dictated this book through him, through this process that he used. Um, now, these are, this is according to people that are not hostile witnesses to Mormonism. So these are part of his family that said this is how he did it. Um, also during this period, he says that John the Baptist appeared to him, and one of his friends on one occasion. And John the Baptist messaged him, was, we have to restore the uh, Aaronic uh, um, priesthood. And then also Peter, James, and John appeared to him, and they said, you have to restore the uh, Melchizedek priesthood. And so finally, in 1830, he's going to have all these revelations. He keeps on talking about all this stuff. In 1830, he publishes what we know, the Book of Mormon. And he, he said that God told him that this is the most correct book on the entire face of the earth. And they will still say that today, by the way. Well, he then sets out to organize his church. He organizes what he called the Church of Christ, as he called it, in Fayette, New York. It only had six people. But then they began their missionary work. They moved to Kirtland, Ohio, They moved on to Independence, Missouri, Illinois. And all along he's publishing all these other revelations that he's having. He published uh, what they call the Book of Commandments in 1833. He published what he called an inspired translation of the Bible. Um, He rewrote the original Book of Commandments in 1835, and he drastically altered all the, revela- all the revelatory information in there. So if it was a revelation in the first place, why did he have to change it? But he did. And he, he labeled it what they still have today called the Doctrines and the Covenants. So he renamed it. Uh, and then history tells us in 1835, he buys these papyri in his town off this kind of uh, traveling showman and they were they were literal artifacts from ancient Egypt, and some of them were papyrus. You could see the, you know, the writing on it and everything. And um, he says that from these these artifacts, he the Lord allowed him to translate the book, another book called the Book of Abraham, which told about all the adventures of Abraham in Egypt. Well, then he moved on to Jackson County, uh, Missouri, where he identified the literal site of the Garden of Eden. That's where it's at. It's in, if you ever wonder where the Garden of Eden is, it's in Jackson County, Missouri, according to Joseph Smith. <clears throat> and he said, this is a place that eventually Jesus is going to come back to. He's going to rule. He's going to reign in the New Jerusalem, but it's going to be right there in Jackson County. Um, and he begins to change the name of this organization he started. He changed it multiple times. Eventually, people kind of catch on to what he's doing, and he's actually driven out of that county. People don't want anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, the governor of Missouri issued an extermination order for all the Mormons. Said, "Get them out of here." Okay, Um, they were they were not thought of as they're thought of today in our society. They were kind of a scourge on the spiritual landscape. well, they reached the shores of the Mississippi River and they founded a town called Nauvoo, N-A-U-V-O-O. Sounds like something you read in a sci-fi magazine or something. And this is where Joseph Smith really got busy. I mean, he really reached his peak here because in this, in this town of Nauvoo, he was the, the, the lieutenant general of his own army. He was the mayor of Nauvoo. He was also the sitting judge of Nauvoo. He was the recorder of all the deeds. Anybody had any property, it went through him. He was the president of the church. He actually ran for the president of the United States on one occasion, and he had himself secretly crowned king of the earth. Oh my gosh. I mean, this guy is kind of loose cannon, right? Um, it was here where he instituted all these rituals you hear about in the temple that we don't really know much about because they won't talk about it. Um, marriage. Rituals uh, sealing for eternity, uh, they believe in rituals like baptism for the dead um, and th- a lot of these temple rituals are largely based on the the first three decrees of freemasonry i don 't know if you know anything about Freemasonry, but they they have all kind of weird secret society, kind of weird stuff going on they have little aprons they wear and Um, signs and grips they have to do, and all this stuff. Well, he he basically took that and adapted it to his little Mormon church there. Um, In 1843, Joseph Smith says that he got a revelation from God that permits the practice of polygamy. It's more than one, not wife. That's fine, because God said it's okay. The things people don't understand is that Joseph Smith been practicing polygamy for years, As a matter of fact, um, he denied it publicly because, you know, back then, it's not, well, even today, it's not illegal, right? But uh, he'd been practicing it all along, but he denied it publicly. And what's interesting was he wasn't just marrying just, I mean, he was doing that too, sordid women, whoever he found, but he was actually marrying the wives of his colleagues within the organization. Um, And eventually it got him in trouble. Uh, he ticked off <laughs> probably one too many husbands or something. Um, as a matter of fact, he got him killed. He got him killed. Uh, he was actually assassinated in 1844 by some of his enemies. He was. Um, his enemies published a, a newspaper, and they began to publish all this stuff that talked about his polygamy practices and, and all this stuff. And, and Joseph Smith sent out an order to all his little henchmen to destroy this, this newspaper. Well, they, they put him in jail instead. And then an angry mob showed up and literally threw him out of the window of the jail. He landed on his head, and he's dead. So it was not a pretty ending for Joseph Smith. What's interesting, when you, when you hear about the impact of this, man, you know, we think of, well, what did Joseph Smith do? Well, he founded the Mormon Church, right, in Salt Lake City. That's what we did. That's what we, we believe. That's what he did. What you don't know is that there are over 100 groups that he formed, 100 groups of individuals that he put together that were founded, all right, in his name, and they claim Joseph Smith as their founder as their prophet, and they claim the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. So it's not just the Mormon church in Utah. they got splinter groups all over the place. Well, what's interesting, after he died, Brigham Young became the first, what they call, president um, of the Mormon church. He kind of came in, he took over. He was one of the what they call the senior apostles at the time, under Joseph Smith. And what he did was he said, you know, let's get out of this area and we're going we're gonna to move from Mississippi and because these people don't like us very much. Um, ticked everybody off. They killed our founder. Let's move. So he took all these people and he made this 1,300-some-mile track to Salt Lake Valley in Utah. And he began um, to set up shop there. Brigham Young himself had two dozen wives, two dozen wives. I mean, guys, guys can't even think of that. Two dozen wives. He had more than fifty kids. Okay, these are not, these are not, uh, good guys. Um, and so, what happened when they set up this this organization in Utah? A lot of the Mormon leaders followed suit in Brigham Young's footsteps, and polygamy was basically um, just practiced openly amongst their their followers. Well, it didn't take long before the federal government got set and got intervened in the situation and was having most of the Mormon leaders either run out of town or thrown in jail for their polygamy practices. Um, And it wasn't until they finally renounced polygamy in 1890, and they only renounced it as the practice on earth. In other words, they still believe in polygamy, but you know, because we're on earth, we can't do it here. Um, that was when Utah was allowed to have statehood. Before that, they, they were denied statehood because they had all these polygamists in their, in their state. And so they had a rough ride all along. Okay? They had a tough time of it. But you can kind of see some of the things that they kind of came out of there. Now, what are the writings? Well, they have the Book of Mormon, 1830, like I said, the most cor- correct book, according to him, on the earth. Um, and they claim it not necessarily to be a spiritual book. They say it's a work of literal history. That's what they would tell you if you ask, what's the Book of Mormon? It's a work of literal history. It tells of the migration of people from the Middle East to the Americas. Um, and the peak event, the highlight of the Book of Mormon, is when Jesus Christ Himself visits the Americas after His resurrection. They believe this stuff. There's there's no evidence, there's no basis for what any of this stuff, but that's what they believe. Um, they believe in two principal groups of people: the Lamanites and the Nephites. The Lamanites were wicked. Listen to this. So God cursed them with dark skin, and that's who the American Indians are. Oh. And the Nephites were the good people, so they had the white skin, the lighter skin. Um, but, unfortunately, the, the Nephites were wiped out by the Lamanites. Um, they wiped them out. They were too nice, you know, I guess. I don't know. Now, you know, when you look at ar- archaeology and you look at real historical facts you have some major issues with what they're trying to teach in the Book of Mormon. In the Book of Mormon, it it, it names these weird places, these weird cities. They can't be found on any map. They just don't exist. It's like he made them up. Um, If you look through the Book of Mormon, like in your, your Bible, right, in the back, most of us have what we call a map, right? It tells you different cities, where they're at. They don't have any maps in the Book of Mormon. They can't. Because the, the, these things don't exist, okay. Um, and so they also have what they call the triple combination. They have the Book of Mormon, um, they have the Doctrine and the Covenants. That's the 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 the, the Book of Commandments that he rewrote. Um, they also have the Pearl of Great Price, which includes this Book of of Abraham. And wh- what's interesting is. Early on, they would say, well, this papyrus that that he used to to create this book of Abraham, it was lost, and we had it, but it was lost in the Great Fire in Chicago. Well, they actually found it in New York in 1967. The literal thing that he said was this papyrus that, that he got this translation of the thing. What's interesting is some people who understand the whole egyptian language and everything they took these things and they translated them you know what they were funeral records that's all they were just funeral records so they got some real problems with this all right now it's kind of convenient that the angel didn't allow him to have the plates after he translated them. he took them so there's no evidence of that either uh with the book of mormon uh they believe that the king james version only they would be what we call king james only people um or Smith's inspired version. Those are the two versions that they would use. Uh, but they only believe it's true if it's properly translated and properly interpreted by themselves. So when you stop and you, you think about what they base their beliefs on, you have a very sketchy thing. But they also have one other thing there. Um, they also have what we call living prophets. Okay? Okay. Um, they believe that living, it's the living prophets that lead the church of Mormon. Uh, they have the, the prophet, he's the, the leader of the church. Uh, the prophet has two counselors, all right, and they basically comprise of, of this presidency that, that rules the church. And then you have a quorum of 12 apostles under them. And then you have all this hierarchy of, of these general authorities and everything under them. And so they've organized and structured in a very uh, ingenious way where no one can really question authority. Um, these, these individuals, they meet twice a year in Salt Lake City to bring what they say. They'll tell you, this is the word of the Lord. What we're saying is kind of like when the Pope speaks ex-cathedral. You know, this is the same thing. It's just kind of interesting. They use that. Um, and they say that whatever is said during those meetings are as reliable and correct as Scripture itself. So they would put that right on a plane of, of the Bible itself. Now, the, as an organization, they believe in continuing revelation. In other words, God is giving new revelation all the time. All right? We don't believe that as a church because the Bible says that in Hebrews, it says that He has spoken to us through His Son. It's done. We have the full book of Revelation right here. We don't need to add anything to it. As a matter of fact, if you add anything to it, you're, you're in hot water. But not so in the Mormon church. You have this ongoing revelation that's going on. Uh, so when they meet together, you'd think it'd be something, wow, real revelatory. Well, usually it's just like good advice, good family advice or uh, inspiring words. It's, it's nothing, you know, wow, where'd they get this from? Well, what do they... What do they they teach? They have a couple publications and um, a couple magazines. They have these prophets, general authorities, all this. But let's go to what they teach. Well, who is God? Okay? Who is God? Now, the Mormons believe in what we call eternal progression. Eternal progression. Um, And so, when, when you look at eternal progression, I mean, everything begins with God, right? Well, The first thing that they believe is that that God is is not a trinity, all right? Um, That that God the Father was once a mortal man, but he was on another planet. I mean, it's just so bizarre, right? I mean, it's just really weird. But he progressed to godhood. In other words, he was a mortal man that was so good, he became God. And this all happened on another planet. (coughs) He has a physical body. And so does his wife, and his wife's called the Heavenly Mother. Um, There's no Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate gods, small g. All right? Um, As a matter of fact, on one occasion he says this, uh, Many men say there is one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God. I say that is a strange God, anyhow, three and one and one and three. It is a curious organization. Father, I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those thou thou hast given me, as that they may be one as we are one are all to be crammed into one God, according to uh, uh, sectarianism it would be the biggest god in all the world he would be a wonderfully big god he would be a giant or a monster that's what he says about the trinity doesn't doesn't agree Um, they also say this that god was once as we are now God is an exalted man who sits enthroned in yonder heaven somewhere. God, our Heavenly Father, is a human being who just happened to advance to the point that he was given a world of his own. This one, okay, he's going to rule over it. All right? And so this God had a God before him. And that God had a God before him. And, and that's what this eternal progression leads to. Um... Our God got to be God, they would believe, because he was a very good Mormon on another planet somewhere. Um, Now, if you asked where this might be, today he resides near the planet of Coab with one or more of his wives. I mean, it is hard not to laugh. I mean, it's just kind of silly, right? But this is what they believe. I mean, they believe this with all their might. Um, Brigham Young taught that God, our Heavenly Father, was Adam for half a century, and the church maintained that for half a century, um, today, most deny that. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the separate God from God the Father. Okay, He is the elder brother, uh, the firstborn spirit child. And he he wanted... God had to figure out what to do with these people down here on earth so they have basically three different levels one of them is the celestial then you know one of them is this this earth and then the celestial beyond that and so what happened was when these mormons were here on earth jesus looked down and said well how are we going to have a salvation plan for all these people they need to be saved and the firstborn spirit child, Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'll be the Savior. I'll go down, but, and I'll, I'll allow the people to choose if they want to be saved by me or not. Well, Lucifer, who's Jesus' younger brother, okay, um, said, no, I want to be Savior. And if I go down, I'm going to mandate, compel everyone to be saved by me. So you have Jesus, the nice guy, is kind of like, well, you know, we'll let him choose. And Lucifer's, nah, they're gonna, they're, I'm going to mandate it. Um, it's just kind of a very, very bizarre thing. Well, God, all the gods decide, they have a council, and they, they take up this situation, and they decide that Jesus' plan was better. Well, that got Lucifer ticked off, according to their story. And he led a third of these spirit angels in rebellion against the other gods, and they were defeated and they were cast down to earth. And they are what we call the devil and his demons or angels today, the fallen angels. Um, So eventually, we are born into bodies, physical bodies, here on this earth, according to Mormonism. But we don't start here. We start somewhere else. Um, Now the choice families those who the who they call the choice families those are the ones who were actually born into mormon families so anybody here born into a mormon family yeah sorry you missed the boat you're not the choice part of the choice families but the choice families um, you know are those who are born into mormon families now listen that's why mormons have so many children because they want to they want to make sure that they have more choice families, you know, that you're born into this Mormon family, and it kind of substantiates their growth. Um, They believe the Holy Ghost is basically a personage, capital H, capital G, but they also have a Holy Spirit, lowercase h, lowercase s, which is a fluid-like substance, they say. Kind of like you know, the electricity of the other the group. Um, and so in eternal progression, it is said this, that as man is, God once was. And as God is, man may become. That's what they believe. Okay, so they're on this road um, to better themselves so that they can be a God. They can make that transition. transition. Um and so they would teach this. That where do we come from? Well, we, we started as disorganized, intelligent matter. And it was organized by our Heavenly Father and one of His wives through sexual relations. Um, and so God sexually organized this intelligent matter into spiritual children because they believe God is a, a God of bone and flesh. And so, the spirit children reach spirit maturity, and then they wait to be sent down here on earth, to what they call the second estate. And so, once they got here on earth, that's when the gods had this council, and that's when they decided, okay, you know, Jesus, you're going to go down and be the Savior, and sorry, Lucifer, you're not, and Lucifer got ticked off, and, and that's what happened. Um... They believe that Jesus was created as a spirit child by the Godfather, elderly brother, um, Lucifer. Um, his body was created through sexual union between God the Father and Mary. They do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They believe the Father literally came down and had relations. They believe that Jesus was married. That his suffering in Gethsemane, not on the cross... And death on the cross does not provide full atonement for our sin, but does provide everyone who has lived on earth with resurrection. So what they would say, you'll never see a cross in a Mormon temple or church or whatever. You'll never see it. They don't like the cross. They hate the cross. Okay. Um, they believe that when Jesus suffered in Gethsemane, Gethsemane, that's when he paid for sin. But it doesn't pay for everything. Uh, but it does provide everyone who has lived on earth with at least a resurrection because you need a resurrection to get to the third state. All right. Kind of a mixed up bag of beliefs. Uh, They believe that when Adam fell, that he didn't fall in the sense that we think of it. They say that Adam fell up. (laughs) That Adam fell, they say, that men might be, men are that they might have joy. That's one of their sayings. So Adam had to transgress so that we could procreate as human beings. That's what they believe. Um, there's no sin nature. They don't believe in that. They deny the virgin birth. Um, he lived a perfect life, Jesus did, but he was a polygamist, by the way. Um, he died. Um, He atoned for Adam's sin, not ours, but for Adam's sin, when he drept, sweat those drops of blood in Gethsemane. That's what they believe. You know, the Mormons teach a completely different gospel than what the Bible says. I mean, you know, I mean, history is one thing, but when you get even to how to be saved, it's just a mixed bag of craziness, right? <coughs> uh, they do teach this, though, which is kind of interesting. They do teach that Jesus literally rose from the dead. Um, that's one of the few cults that actually teach that. Um, and that's when, by the way, he, he came and visited America after he rose from the dead. I mean, so they just go right back off the rails, right? You think, wow, well, okay. Um, their salvation is one of works. Uh, you have to be a member of the church. You have to go through the temple work, the, the different rituals, things like that. You have to do your genealogy. That's very important to them, as we all know. Um, they, you have to keep all these commands. You have to believe in Joseph Smith. If you don't believe in Joseph Smith and his story, you can't be a Mormon. Um, But even if you get all that wrong, you get a second chance. Uh, After your first estate, as a spirit being somewhere, your second estate here on earth, um, when you die, if you die a good Mormon, you go to paradise. If you're not a good Mormon, you go to what they call spirit prison. Mm. I mean, who wants to go to spirit prison, right? Um, and that's where you wait patiently for the, the, the Mormon spirit missionaries to preach Mormon gospel to you again so that a living person up here on earth can be baptized for you while you're in this spirit prison. Because the spirit can't be baptized, right? So they have to have somebody be baptized for you. So that's how they work that out. Um, because everyone has to be baptized, you, you can't be a Mormon and not be baptized. Um, and so they do this baptism by proxy, you know. Okay, kind of. I mean, in a way, I mean, you know, the, the prayers for the dead, what the Catholic Church does, you know, it's kind of similar, but not even to that degree. I mean, that's you know, that's wrong, but I mean, still, this is just kind of craziness. Um, and, and this is where they get a lot of their activities in the Mormon temples that, that goes on that we don't know anything about. Um, now, when they have the, the resurrection, um, if you're a good Mormon, you get, go in the millennium and all that, they do believe in an afterlife. They, they believe in three degrees of, of glory. You have the celestial, the, the which is kind of the bottom rung. Okay, this is where the bad people go. They still go there, even though they're bad. People like Hitler, Stalin, Capone, people like that could actually go there. All right. That's the lowest level, the telestial. Then you have the terrestrial, which is kind of a step above that. And that's if you're a good, nice guy Mormon, that's where you go. All right. And then you have the, the celestial, which is the highest level of all of them. Uh, and that's where you, you, know, you get your godhood and all that stuff on the other planet. They do have a place called Outer Darkness for wicked ap- Apostates, people who've turned their backs on the Mormon church, um, and so they they discourage any kind of people speaking out against the Mormon Church by holding that over their head that if you ever did that, if you went through these say these temple rituals and you shared it with somebody or something, you 'd be considered a wicked apostate, and you would be thrust into outer darkness all right so they don't they don't have any patience for anybody who does not agree full-heartedly with what, they, uh, with, with what they believe, what they teach. We've gone through this, the Holy Spirit. <coughs> well, let's, some of their, their, their Mormon <coughs> practices, <coughs> this is kind of interesting, and, and they call this the word of wisdom. So they would say things like, uh, you, know, you can't have any caffeine drinks. All right, no caffeine, no alcohol, no tobacco. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I'm sure your body benefits from not drinking those things. But it used to be no hot drinks. And then they changed it to caffeine because, you know, the caffeine thing. So they weren't even allowed to drink soup at one point in their their belief system because it was hot and they weren't allowed to drink a hot liquid. It's kind of a crazy thing. Um, They have all these weird temple rituals which they call endowments. Endowments. they have special rituals that, that help you prepare for your godhood. Uh, they have washings. They have anointings. They, they're all kind of modified. Some of them are modified from these Masonic Lodge rituals that they go through as well. You have to learn certain grips and signs and all kinds of things. Um, and, and so this better equips you. So when you're going... On your level to the the highest level of the celestial, when you you pass by the angelic centuries you 'll know what to do so they 'll let you go and they won 't you know axe you uh, they'll they'll let you into the celestial kingdom that way um, any Mormon who's been a missionary or any Mormon who's been married, they have what they call um sacred undergarments yeah. kind of like, like holy underwear people call it um, and they have They actually have on the underwear Masonic markings they're at the breast level the navel and then the right knee and um, you know like I said what takes place in all these things is very uh, it's secret but they would call it sacred so they they're not allowed to discuss it with anyone period So you only know what goes on in those places, right? They also believe this, which I thought was kind of weird. They believe in individual blood atonement. Individual blood atonement. Um, and And through this research, I found out that Utah was one of the last states where someone could be executed by firing squad. Okay, they just don't, didn't practice that much. It was one of the last ones that did it. And the reason was because the Mormon population there was so heavy, they actually believed that some sins are so serious and so bad that the blood of Christ could never take them away. So you have to pay with them for them with your own blood. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? But that's what they believe. Um, and so how to be saved? They believe that one is resurrected by grace. But fully saved, exalted to state of godhood by works. So that goes in opposition to scripture. Um, required works, faithful to the church leaders. There's no unfaithfulness tolerated. Mormon baptism, tithing, ordination uh, for males, marriage, temple secret, endowment rituals. Uh, there's no eternal life without membership in the Mormon church. That's what they believe. You have no hope of eternal life. None whatsoever. Um, Well, what happens after death? Eventually, everyone goes to one of these three separate heavenly kingdoms that I mentioned. Uh, Some achieve literal godhood. They become gods. Exaltation at the highest level. Um, The apostates and murderers join Satan in the outer darkness. Um, do, Do you actually have these secret temple endowments? You have to have a very good standing in the church. I think somebody was who was telling me somebody was telling me last week or the week before they, you know, you try to go to the the church and you can't go in certain the temple or whatever certain places. Sam, yeah, okay. Sam was telling me that. Yeah, um, you can see what they want you to see. Uh, they have baptism on behalf of the dead. Um, they really encourage this two year commitment. They do door-to-door uh, proselytizing. They have an extensive social network. Uh, you know, uh, they really, um, people of African ancestry denied, are denied full access to the Mormon priesthood and privileges until 1978. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, clapped too soon there. But yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Um, yes. So what is the appeal, you might ask? you know, what's the appeal of, of the Mormon, the Mormon church? Well, there's a couple things and, um, I'll just share those with you as we close. There's a couple things. Um, first of all, the, the emphasis on family, you know, how many times have you heard people, you know, you know, well, yeah, Mormons are all wrong, but you know what? They have, they have nice families. They really take care of their own. They're, you know, and have you ever seen the little bumper sticker on cars, families are forever. That's a Mormon thing. <laughs> That's what they believe. Um, Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't teach that, right? Because families are not forever. We're not going to be marrying and, and giving a marriage in heaven. So when you stop and think about that, I mean, it's an honorable thing in a way, but they have that family emphasis. That appeals to people, especially today in our society. Um, they have a lot of social activities going on in their churches, tons of them, all kinds of things, and it's very well-organized and well-kept. Um, and plus the idea that, you know, hey, you know, Uncle Joe wasn't a Mormon. What do I do about him? Oh, don't worry about it. We can baptize, get him baptized, you know, get somebody else baptized in his, his place. You know, that appeals to people. You can get baptism on behalf of deceased relatives. But let's end with what does the Bible say? Um, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, Paul says very clearly that he is astonished Uh, that the Galatians were so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. There is not another gospel. There's only one gospel. But there are some who who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one that we had preached uh, to you, let him be accursed. All right, that's very clear, that there's only one gospel. We don't need to, to embrace another gospel. Um, also, secondly, there's no gods before or after God. And there's some scriptures there in your outline you can look up, but I'll just read one. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, declares to the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any After me. These are verses that Mormons have never read. Okay, they they don't understand these. Um, Thirdly, God is not a man. Those various verses there point that out very clearly. Um, Jesus Christ has always been God. We looked at John 1 1 a couple weeks ago. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the the Word was God. All right, Um, very clear. The gospel of, of salvation as we know it, we can see it in Romans chapter 3. It's not by works. Um, it says there in, in Romans three twenty. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, period. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is de- death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Um, it's a gift of God, not a result of works that no man should boast. So we need to be reminded of those things, and we need to really help them I think, how do we, we deal with, with the Mormons? We have to take them to the Scriptures. You know, and, and take them and show them. When they, when they quote a verse to you, take them to that verse and say, let's, let's read before and after that verse, because they never do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of these cults, what they do is, is, is proof text things. You know, they'll pull a verse out of context, and they'll say, oh, look at what it says here. And then they'll build a whole belief system over it. And what you have to do, even as believers, even as Christians, we have to constantly say, wait a minute, what is it saying in its context? What's it say before? What's it say be- after? Who's writing? Who's he writing this to? All those things matter when you're, we, when you're trying to apply a verse in a certain given situation. They don't do that. They don't know how to do that. They're not taught to do that. And you can actually take Mormons to scriptures in the King James Bible and show them where some of their doctrine is wrong. And you know what? They'll go away thinking about it. It's a very serious thing for them. Um, And I think also we have to tell them what Jesus has done for them. Okay? And for you. Share your testimony. Because just in a similar way, like the Jehovah Witnesses, it's more of an intellectual thing. They don't know of a personal relationship with Christ. Well, it's the same thing. These people are lost. You know, they may be nice people, they may have great families, but they're lost. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne according to his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. They need to hear scripture verses like that because it flies in the face of what they're being taught, you know. And the same thing goes with the same thing with the Jehovah Witnesses. I mean, don't be rude to them. Don't be rude to the Mormons. Try to be understanding. But at the same time, you know, try to end on a positive note. You know, share your testimony, share what God has done for you, what Christ has done for you. The the idea that their sins can all be forgiven by the grace of God is something that's foreign to them. You know, um, sometimes what they'll do before they'll leave, they'll say, well, do you mind if I pray? We, we, can we just have a word of blessing for you? Never accept that. Just say no. Say no, that's not okay. Because <laughs> they're used to people saying, well, oh, whatever, you know. And when you say no, you're, you're you're drawing a line in the sand. You're saying no, no, no. This is this is not what you're saying is not true. You know, you're not being mean, but you're 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 taking a hard stance, and it, it causes them to stop. And well, you don't want us to pray. No, we don't. We don't want you to pray because you're not teaching the truth. You know, and you know you try to share that with them, uh, but you know they're definitely. Uh, uh, and you, you think of some of the people that are Mormons. And they bought into this stuff. And there's no, there's no historical facts to back any of this up. You can't go to the Smithsonian Institute and see the plates that Joseph Smith or, or any, any of the, the claims of the Book of Mormon, you know, and what they say happened. It's just not there in history. And so it's, it's kind of an uphill battle for them. But they've just blindly bought into this. And, and that's why I think that originally, I mean, I think this, this whole thing came out of the spirit of darkness, clearly, you know, and just his whole dealings with the occultic practices in the beginning. And, you know, Satan is not one to, to, you know, rest. And so, I mean, this is a very healthy, uh, rich group of people that wholeheartedly believe in these doctrines and what, they, what they're teaching them. I mean, think about it. How many other, what other people you know, give up two years of your life to go on a mission? I mean, can you imagine that? Saying, okay, you know, you become a member of Grace Bible Church. You know, one of the things is we, we believe you should go on the mission field for two years. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, but they don't. They do it. And they're very committed to their cause. And they, in a lot of ways, they put our churches to shame. But we're on the side of the truth. They're not. And we just need to be very bold with explaining that to them.